Mark chapter 10, Mark chapter 10, verses 46 through 52. And will you stand as we read God's word together? Then, whoops, yeah, then they reached Jericho, and as Jesus and his disciples left town, a large crowd followed him. A blind beggar named Bartimaeus was sitting beside the road. When Bartimaeus heard that Jesus of Nazareth was nearby, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Be quiet, many of the people, uh, people yelled at, the, at him. But he shouted louder, Son of David, have mercy upon me. When Jesus heard him, he stopped and said to him, Tell him to come here. So they called the blind man. Cheer up, they said. Come on, he's calling you. Bartimaeus threw aside his coat, jumped up, and came to him. And Jesus asked him this question. What do you want me to do for you? My rabbi, the blind man said, I want to see. And Jesus said to him, go, for your faith has healed you. Instantly the man could see, and he followed Jesus down the road. This is the word of the Lord. Well, we have been, uh, yeah, you may be seated. We have been focused this month on a series called Love. And, uh, well, we, we want to be able to love more. Thus, today's title is called Focused. Focused. Do you live in anticipation of what God is doing in you and through you? I mean, do you live in anticipation, getting up every morning kind of like, whoa, what's ahead, Lord? I mean, what are we going to do together? I mean, with great anticipation. Early in my ministry, uh, there was a young man named Josh. He and his family began to attend the church that I was pastoring. And uh, he came into the presence of what we were just talking about and what we read a scripture about, the Holy Spirit. And after he went to a conference, almost every Sunday uh, on Mark, he would find his way to the front, just putting himself sometimes prostrate before the Lord. And I remember this conversation. He said, Pastor, what's the deal? So what do you mean, what's the deal? He said, why aren't other people doing what I'm doing? I mean, that's kind of the essence of the conversation. I said, well, I don't really know. I can't answer for other people. I said, but why do you do what you do? He said, because I live in anticipation and expectation that God is going to speak and I am going to get myself in a place where he can and he will speak to me. I mean, talk about a story. I mean, wondering why others wouldn't find themselves in the same kind of position and posture that oftentimes we find in Scripture. I don't think you have to, by the way, but I don't think it's altogether bad either. Uh, to find yourself there. I mean, but it really makes me question, what is it that we long for? What is it that is our deepest desires? What is it that we hunger to see God do? I mean, maybe you know 
maybe you don't know, on your handout that we, uh, that the, that the connection team has given you, maybe you need to jot a few things down that you are hoping for, that you have a deep longing for, you've never articulated on paper before, but you, you want to go, hey, this is what I hunger for. A, a few of mine, it, since you ask, I want love, uh, and not in all the wrong places either. I, I want a place to be. I don't, I don't know if that makes sense. See, some of these are big categories, and they, they go smaller. You can have a conversation with me. I, I want to have life-giving relationships. Uh, you might get that one. Some of us have life-sucking relationships. I mean, they, you know, God sends us that way, but we want to have life-giving relationships, and I, th- I would like to have a kingdom legacy. Um, there's a legacy of this earth, but there's a kingdom legacy that goes on. Those are just a few. Now, maybe you have them and you've articulated them. Uh, just a little exercise. If you haven't, uh, do it. Uh, figure out what those deepest longings are, those deepest, deepest hopes, and they may not be that, and that's okay. Because if you don't articulate them, if you don't write them down, if you don't put them somewhere, if you don't tell somebody, guess what? You probably won't ever make it to them. You'll never get what you're looking for. Uh, the crazy, though, this is the crazy of those, of those of us who follow Jesus, and it's exactly what Pastor Mark prayed in his prayer, is that some, many of the hopes and desires and longings for those of us who follow Jesus are not found in isolation. In fact, they're often found right in the midst of community, around people, uh, people all the time, and I mean, some of us are probably going, really? People? Can it be around people? I mean, that he would do this, that he would bring it about. But this is the interesting thing. Uh, we, they're around people, but within that community of whether that's community in here or community outside or wherever it may be, we have to ask the question, if, if the deepest longings our hopes and desires are ahead of us, and maybe we don't know what they are, but some of us do. I have to ask the question, well, how do we lose focus of them? Or why do we lose focus of them? I mean, and I don't have to go too far to figure this one out. And I'm hoping that this one will strike a chord with you. Uh, when I start to think about why I'm missing some of my deepest hopes and longings, Um, some of them I've even stated, I don't have to go too far because I get distracted. And the more I think about it, I get distracted by me more than I get distracted by others. But there are other things around us. I mean, that's the thing, right? We're we're in a group and we're, we're trying to realize what God desires of us and what he has placed in our hearts, but then all of a sudden we see a squirrel. Okay, maybe not a real squirrel. You know what I'm saying, right? I mean, and all of a sudden we're off track. How many of you have been in a conversation this week with a group of people, and somebody asked a question, and somebody was answering that question, or you thought they were answering that question, but then they took it another direction, and somebody else then Took a, took a branch off of that and never answered the original question. And then when somebody brings the, the conversation back to the original, 
you kind of get this like, why did you just do that, right? And sometimes the Lord leads that way, right? I mean, we are just so distracted. And we get off of what God is, uh, what he has done and what he is doing through us. It's almost like watching the Super Bowl and forgetting that there's a football game, actually. (laughs) None of us would actually watch the Super Bowl for the commercials or who would be in the stands, would we? Oh, my goodness. Probably a better illustration. Uh, My girls, they said... uh, I think all of them, yeah, all of them played soccer. They said, you know, mom and dad, we want to play soccer. Our friends are playing soccer. You know, just a little caution flag above all that if you haven't passed through this stage yet. Our girls were playing soccer, and this is what I found out. Uh, They were more interested in the snacks and the dandelions than they ever were in the soccer ball on the field. (laughs) I mean... And the interesting thing is I'm not too dissimilar to that as an adult. I mean, so many distractions. And this is one of those, I thought about this as we were singing. This is really more of a 30,000-foot message. It's not going to hone in on your specifics. I'm praying the Holy Spirit brings in your specifics. It may, but I don't think it's going to do that, right? I mean, it reminds me of Paul's words... He said, when I was, he said, when I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child, but when I grew up, I put away childish things, right? Just this idea of continually being distracted. I think I heard somebody say that, uh, you, know, uh, as, you know, as adults, we may be able to give a, maybe a minute's worth of focus on one thing before we're distracted. I think it's actually less than that. It's like in the seconds, I mean, truly, we have lost our focus when it comes to being attentive to task. But then when we think about that in our faith and our walking with Jesus, we become really, really short-sighted sometimes. And we get distracted by the things around us. Sometimes we're, we're even distracted because we're misunderstood. I have a, I have a cousin who is a diehard Lions fan. It's been a few years since we've been together, but we get together, uh, you know, occasionally on Thanksgiving, and, and uh, we would just say, oh, so sorry, man, right? Now, I'm not a, not a Lions fan, but I'm not a diehard Lions fan, right? Uh, through, the, through the seasons of their losing, it was pretty easy for me to shift to another team because who wants on that? a little bit. I'm sorry, it's just the truth about who I am. But the crazy of it, those who are devoted, those who have a story behind it, as we heard this season, they have a story behind it, why they're devoted. And it's less to do about the team than about the story. And so when we're misunderstood, sometimes we don't know people's stories. The guy who stopped face painting the, the, uh, many seasons ago and got tattoos on his head, not my thing, I get it, if you want to do it, that's fine, but he, you know, his story was that his, his family was into it, right? They watched it together. It's not a story about just being a diehard Lions fan, it's a story about relationship, and so oftentimes, we're misunderstood for the things that we do that the Lord maybe calls us into. I'm not saying he's calling you in to get a tattoo, okay? That's not my, that's not my call, but he calls us into things, and people go, hiss from the sidelines, like, why would you do that? 
when they don't even know the storyline. They don't know you. They don't know why you're living out that story. And so even in that, we can lose our focus of why we've done what we've done if we're not committed. And when that happens, when people are misunderstood, their story isn't told, what do we do? Especially what do we do as followers when we realize that, that, you know, that to understand and love others better like we want to be loved, how do we do that? I think we follow love's lead and learn the rest of their story. We take the time it takes to listen to their story. Whether we agree with them or not, whether we're on the same page or not, we take the time that it takes to listen to the story that they're telling. I mean, that's what the Lord calls us into. I mean, it's a beautiful thing. Oftentimes, though, when people react to us and around us, uh, just as we come to uncover in our own lives, that it's not just the situation that they're reacting to, right? So living on focus for Jesus and living in this lifestyle, sometimes we, we tend to disrupt or things are moved and changed in their lives. And so what happens is, just like happens oftentimes uh, in life, when they react to us, we think they're reacting to us in the moment, but they're reacting to us over a lifetime of their events in their life. For example, or a series of events. There was a time that I was helping my dad after work load his truck for deliveries. He grabbed a pallet of crates uh, with the forklift, and they were not tied together. You can see it coming, I think. And as he was loading them, uh, the, you know, the truck had, we had a, you know, this little ramp. This, the truck just kind of, kind of sank a little bit. And then the crates in the front just fell over. I'd never seen my dad do this ever uh, before in my life. I never saw it after that. Didn't mean that he didn't do it. But my dad, and I was pretty young at the time, my dad must have had a series of events in his day or week or something was transpiring. He literally jumped up and down on those crates and all of those, the apples that spilled. And I'll tell you what, I just backed away. I'm like, this is not for me, right? What I did know is that that was not necessarily my dad's normal behavior um, at all. It gave him space. I knew that he wasn't reacting to the apples tipping over at all. That was not the situation, but he was reacting to some other things that were transpiring in his life. And so when people respond to us in ways that, well, we think are unlovely or unloving or maybe in unlovely ways, I think as followers of Jesus, it's our opportunity, it's our privilege to absorb Really, it is our privilege to absorb and to stay, to stay in that space with them. I mean, because of this, as we get to know Jesus and he reveals our story to us and he reveals stuff in us, we realize that oftentimes our reactions are not the loveliest. They are, tend to be unlovely. But this is the point. When we find that out about ourselves, it's our opportunity to face them with faith. There's things that are unlovely, 
those things that are, uh, may, may be spoiled in us uh, in terms of bad fruit, bad that, right? It's our opportunity to face them with faith and take them to Jesus. It's not a place to camp out, but it's a place to allow his healing to, to take place because we have a greater call. This is where we lose sometimes our focus, friends. We think it's about this situation in our lives when Jesus wants us to heal that to be a conduit of his love, his grace, and his mercy. So he wants us to experience a healthier and more whole person. In fact, that's one of the reasons why he came. Oftentimes when he encountered somebody who was broken physically, broken by sin, he transformed their lives. He changed it by their willingness to hand it to him, to give it to Jesus. So in those places and spaces you do that, I mean, we have a couple of verses that help us out in this way. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds to Jesus. He's saying, don't be anxious about it. Just take it to him. Allow him to have what's on your heart. Have him, allow him to have that brokenness that's a part of you to remake it into something beautiful. Jesus himself exhorts his disciples, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you and for everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks, the door will be open. But this is the beautiful part about that. It's not that you can ask, seek and knock. It's this, what Jesus said. Which of you, if your son or daughter asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or ask for a fish, will give him a snake. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? I mean, our Heavenly Father is a good Father who desires to give what is right, healthy, and whole for you. Bring it to Jesus. Uh, bring it to Jesus, whatever it may be. He'll heal you. Yet, well, that's a part of our story. We're, we're in a bigger story. And this is, what's, this is what's so important, is that we can become hyper-focused on what is not happening rightly in our own lives. And if we're not bringing it to Jesus to give the wholeness, we're going to continue to be super hyper-attentive uh, to that brokenness in our lives. And for a period, we may need that. But that brokenness is to be made into something beautiful. That brokenness is to be made so it becomes a conduit and something greater in our lives. Because Jesus desires to have love live through you. But oftentimes I wonder if we come into this space and we miss the love, or maybe other spaces, but we miss the love that God has for us. I mean, we sing about Jesus, we pray to Jesus, we ask for other people to be healed by Jesus, but we ourselves are in the room with Jesus and forget to avail him for what we need, for the wholeness he wishes to give us. Not as if he's a genie or an ATM, but he desires to bring wholeness through us for his greater good and the greater work of the kingdom. 
uh, maybe I can illustrate it this way. Uh, Kathy and I have been married, my wife and I have been married uh, 30 years, uh, well, last year, almost 31. We're heading towards it. Our, ha- our meeting happened uh, one summer evening uh, at a party, uh, and after that summer of frolicking together, yep, I said frolicking, however you want to, however that picture's in your mind, and spending a school year, college and graduate school apart, I grew and we grew in our hunger to spend all our days together. So I asked her to marry me that August, you know, the following August. So year in, we waited another year and we got married. This is the interesting about, thing about marriage and love, right? For some of you who have walked this route and walked this road. Love in the first days be, seems to be the big thing in our lives, I mean, it's all-consuming. Uh, the, the errors, uh, the warts, <laughs> some of the issues, they just get consumed by the love that you have for each other. But then, as we have found, the things that are supposed to stay big don't always stay big. And the things that are supposed to stay small aren't always supposed to be small. Right? I mean, we, we oversize putting the top on the toothpaste and undersize the love that we're having. By the way, if you're playing dodgeball, I wouldn't want this, I want this, okay? Everything has its appropriate size, right? We need to learn to right-size things in our lives. I mean, I mean, think about it. The demands of getting kids out to, out to school every day, I mean, some of you are there, right? To practice, to the dentist, can seem large and looming over the conversations where you listen to each other's hearts, where you tell each other's story again, where if you, if you want, you revisit the first love that you had, right? Because everyday stuff, it's got to be done, uh, we'll get to that conversation about our first love and recreating and reimagining what this love looks like. And we undersize it. I mean, bills have to be paid all the time. We may have even a wonder-filled and God-given vision for a business for ministry or, min, or, or mission. And, and they're usually big ideas which that hang on those, that, all of that. Yet the daily needs and demands diminish the vision that God often places in our hearts and we undersell what he's wanting to do in us. If this is what love God's love does, it helps to right-size our, our devotions, our attentions, and our desires. So the question begins, I mean, back at the beginning, what, what is your deepest desire? What is your deepest longing? Uh, is it to love, to have, for me, place, or living, life-giving relationships and kingdom legacy? 
then am I going to right-size those based on what God has placed in my heart, in my life? I think sometimes we make love way too complicated. Way too complicated. I mean, even the, the love that God desires us to live out, we make it way too complicated because of the distractions in our lives, because of our own lives, right? And Hebrews 11.1 1 says, now faith is the confident, confidence in what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see. What if you had the confidence in what you haven't seen yet? I mean, it hasn't become a reality, but you realize that it's a God-formed desire in your heart, but you keep undersizing it, right? Oh. But he wants you to see it as if it's that, his love lived out. I mean, all the time. How many of you are familiar with upsizing your, your meals at Wendy's or McDonald's, right? I mean, um, I mean, those are great, but <laughs> your cardiologist is calling you back to right-size it, not upsize it, right? We need to learn to upsize or right-size, excuse me, the love of God. We, we have a tendency to to make it super small when his love will live through us. I mean, could it be that in the conversation that Jesus was having with the Pharisees, this is what he was attempting to try to tell them? And it was a, it was a question about marriage, and he says this, your mistake is that you do not know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. That you're you're upsizing, you're supersizing what doesn't matter, and you're downsizing what does matter. In fact, I think that's what he was saying. I mean, we, we as a people need to be, get back to loving as Jesus loved. And sometimes I think we find ourselves in this place because of our brokenness and because of the way the culture is around us that we think we need to get permission to love somebody. That we need to get permission to love somebody. The interesting thing is God wants you, God has given you all the permission you need as you follow him into the world in which he's given to you. In fact, he's told us that we just walk across the cafeteria to the person who isn't being loved in the moment, to those who are prickly, those who are different than us. We cross the aisle and listen to others instead of casting stones. That's how love lives. Instead of putting people in categories, we listen to their stories. Because, friends, don't we want people to hear our story? And yet we don't give them the same, same. I mean... He desires us to do that. Yeah, yeah, I hear you, I hear you. Those who are saying, whoa, 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 love is this kind of nebulous, squishy word. Not if you read the Gospels, it's not. 
Love lives inside of truth, inside of holiness, inside of the community that rightly says that God is first, that Jesus is first. And if you put Jesus first, Matthew 6, 33, God bless you. You know, seek his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Then it will fit and God himself by the Holy Spirit will rightly treat and treat the situation that you're in with kindness. I mean, it may fall into this, that, that Jesus wants to love and live our love out. And he will provide the ways to do it. It's kind of in the same vein where uh, Jesus was asking his disciples, who do they say that I am? And then he says, to, he says who do you say that I am? And he said, well, you're the Messiah. You're God. And within the same context, in the same area, Jesus said, this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. I mean, the actions of Jesus demonstrated that he was God around them. But the interesting thing is it wasn't Jesus' words that convinced them necessarily, but Jesus himself said it was, it was God. It was the Holy Spirit that revealed that to you. We can trust the Holy Spirit to bring about the greatest amount of love, grace, and truth into our world. Uh, how, long, how long do you think you'll live? Michael, how long do you think you'll live? Sixty years. Uh, anybody want to up that? <laughs> how long are you gonna live? What do you think? Eighty-eight. All right. All right. Let's just take a guess. This is a uh, this is a string of time. Get it? String of time. So, uh, some, did somebody say 100? Yeah. All right, 100. Uh, all right, so we'll go, go that. Um, so those that, that's, I'm 55. You just cut off 55 years right there, give or take. All right, um, if you want to live, let's say, let's say you're maybe 10 years older, how many inches do you have to live? Yeah. Well, that's, you know, that's probably, what, eight inches, something like that? My point is this. Is that God has given you, given you a lifetime to live out his love. Most of us, not all of us, are past half if not a little bit further. How much of it do you want to live distracted, unfocused on what matters the most? I mean, how, how often do you want to be found straightening out other people? How often do you want to be known as the person who is uh, the truth teller only, but not the grace giver or the hope deliverer? The interesting thing 
is that for us that are in the Free Methodist Church and have a Wesleyan theology, we love this because this is what we believe. We believe the Holy Spirit is going ahead of us. He's already come behind us, and he's right with us. And if the Holy Spirit is Jesus, uh, that's what he is. We call him an advocate, but Jesus said, I will send one like myself but not in a singular, somebody made this point when we were in a discussion, but not as a singular person, but as a delivery system to everyone. (laughs) Wow. So he not only wants to heal the brokenness within us, but he also wants us to be a conduit of his love, truth, grace, mercy, kindness, gentleness to others. And yet, we can often find ourselves distracted. So what is your deepest longing and hope from Jesus? As Jesus asked the blind Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? The question stands. What do you want done in you and through you from the Lord? What are the things that will outlast you? See, time is ticking. And for some, they may feel that it's ticking faster than it ever has before. I was talking to one of our young adults recently. He had been uh, gifted a collection of C.S. Lewis books for Christmas. And I love this conversation. He had been reading the screw tape letters. Some of you are familiar with them. And I think it's such a wonderful insight to the schemes of the evil one, of Satan, right? And one of the largest one is, is distraction. Let's just distract them from what's really important. Let's just continue to shift their attention to the carpet, to the coffee, to the politics, to all the things that don't matter I mean think about this destruction is complete and one and done but if he can distract you and then you are discipling you may not know this but whoever you hang with you're leading them in some way shape or form you are leading them and if you are distracted and you start out your conversation can you believe that right how many times have I started that way all of a sudden now you've infected all of those people with this idea of, of contention, not leading necessarily with love. There can be truth in that. I'm not arguing against that. But when we lead in this place of, of you know, not contagious Christianity, contagious love of Jesus, we lead with this contagious contention that we have with people around us and the world and this and that. We don't lead with love We are distracting those around us. So the evil one's job, the evil one's tactics, is to dissuade us from our focused center, Jesus, who is love, who is love. Too many times I've spent a lot of money to fix a situation it only took a few dollars. 
wasting our energy, wasting our time, wasting a lot of things in, in a direction that doesn't pan out. We have to be reminded, too, of 2 Timothy 1.17, for God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, of, of, but of power love, and self-discipline. As a mentor in Kids Hope, by the way, it's a great place to live out the love of Jesus. It is following Jesus into the world. It's connecting with, with a world who needs to see and know that somebody cares, somebody loves. This is why it's daunting to me. And you may think, well, wait a second, you don't, don't you feel confident about what you're doing? I feel confident about where from once I've come, where I live, how I've done things. But my, but my little doesn't live in my world. He doesn't have the same experiences. It's daunting from the standpoint that I have to be continually listening to his heart, listening to his words and watching how he reacts. And, but that is also the place that is, is beautiful because it's a place where the Holy Spirit has to show up. Because if I start to explain how my kids live, how my world works, it's not that it's wrong or right. It doesn't connect. And so our job is to, to allow the love of God to heal us, and heal us until the day we die, by the way. It's not a one-and-done thing and allow his love to flow through us in actions and attitudes and behaviors that show the world that Jesus is love and that he is alive. I'm reminded, uh, we're reminded clearly that Jesus loves us because he walked, the cross, walked to the cross for us. So let me ask, as we close out our time together, what is distracting you from giving your focused attention and affection to God? Uh, what's distracting you today from being fully present with Jesus to allow him to do not just the, the stuff he wants to do through you, but really to what he wants to heal in you? What fear is holding you back? I watched a movie recently called The Four-Minute Mile. And one of the coaches in this made the comment to this kid who wanted to break the four-minute mile. He said, you, you, have, to, you have to face your fear because you're going to get to a point where you don't think you have any more to give. There's nothing left in you, but you have to push through to the other side. You have to, in this case, putting it in a faith realm, you, you may have to pray through, old terms, pray through, Posture yourself through to the other side, facing the fear, allowing Jesus to heal so that you can become his vessel into the world. What is distracting you from giving your focused attention and affection to God? Jeremiah 31, 13 says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with an unfailing kindness unfailing kindness. This delivered to a rebellious Israel, a rebellious group of people at the time. I have drawn you with an unfailing 
kindness. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your great love for us. The love that, Lord, that oftentimes we find ourselves distracted from because we're focused on the things that don't matter as much. That, Father, you said you would take care of as we seek you first and foremost. As we give you our affection, our attention, our lives, you would take care of. And so, Father, for some of us this morning, this is a confession. We are confessing, Father, that our attention and our affections have been on the distractions, not on your great love, not on your great mercy, not on Jesus. And Father, we, we repent and give it to you. And ask that, Father, you would help us to refocus, reimagine, realign, our minds, our hearts, our souls, and all of our strength to love you. Just as Jesus commended to the, the, the lawyer that one day, what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love others as you love yourself. Father, we want to place ourselves before you that Father, one, we become healed and more whole as the days and our journey continue to walk to you. But as was prayed earlier and we're praying now, Lord, we want to be more whole and healed by your love, by your grace, by your mercy, by your truth, so we can love, be, love others like you do. there are those around us who have yet to experience the great love of Jesus. A full enveloping love. That Jesus prayed that we would have in John 17. Father, may they know the love that we have. If they know that love, Father, then they will give it away freely dispensing it. May that be true. May, may you're here this morning and you didn't know that God had this great love for you. That his love was a healing love, a wholeness love. One that, yes, calls us back from uh, our brokenness, our sin, but calls us back so that we might have wholeness in the great design that he desired from us from, for the, from the very beginning. If that's you, friend, I just encourage you to take the step and taste and see that God is good, that he loves you with his son's life. You can pray this prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your mercy, grace, and love found in and through Jesus. Save me and forgive me from my sins. I give you my life and choose to follow love and live for you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Father, we celebrate that love right now.